Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Good evening, everyone. How are we going tonight? Good. My name's Liam, and uh, I'm really excited to be here tonight uh, to be sharing God's Word, particularly with what's been going on over the last few months around the world, and particularly even just in Adelaide this week. Um, I'm really thankful to God that um, we can safely be here tonight and um, that I can share his word with you all. And we're continuing on tonight in our Not A Fan series, which Jacob kicked off last week. And one of the things that I've been reflecting on as I've been preparing this sermon is, what does it actually mean to be a fan? Like, what is the line between being a fan and being something more, like being a member? You know, what does it mean to be a fan of a sports team or an actor or an author? And what does it mean to be a member of a team or a band? And, you know, being a fan is actually really easy. And that's why I can say that I'm a fan of so many different things, but a member of much fewer things. I can stand here having watched maybe an hour of football this year and say that I'm a fan of football and I'm a fan of the St Kilda Football Club. I haven't spent any money on the Saints, I haven't made any sacrifice or put in any effort, but no one can doubt that I'm a fan. Or I can say that I'm a fan of a particular band. You know, I can say I'm a a fan of Pink Floyd, but I can't say that I'm a member of Pink Floyd. See, I haven't put in the countless hours of solo practice and rehearsal as a group and all the meetings and the organisation and all the sacrifices that you have to make. See, I haven't made the sacrifices necessary to be acknowledged as a member of this group. And so the question that we're ultimately asking tonight is, what does it mean to be not a fan of Jesus, but something more? And that's the heart behind this series. And the passage that we're looking at tonight in particular teaches us what it means to be active followers of Jesus in the period between now and when he returns. And so tonight we're going to be reading from Luke 12. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. We're starting in Luke 12, uh, verse 35. But before we get into the Word tonight, will you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your Word and for the truth that it contains, God. And um, we thank you that we can be here tonight. And God, I pray that we would come tonight with hearts open to learning more about you and uh, your heart for us, God. And Um, I pray ultimately that all glory would go straight to you tonight. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we begin reading at verse 35. It says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes back, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. So the parable that we're reading tonight begins with a master at a wedding. And what is important to understand is that when Jesus was telling this story, weddings weren't like the weddings that we have now. See, I know that for my wedding, 
Every minute of the entire week of the wedding was planned out in a Google Doc that Esther and I had, that the MCs had, that the bridal party had, the people who were setting up had. This was a well-oiled machine. And if someone wanted to know where we were or where we would be at any given time, the Google Doc knew all. But you have to understand that there was no Google Doc that the servant could check to see the exact minute that the master would be returning. And in those days, weddings were events that could last multiple days. We're talking five, seven, ten days. And so it's not just a matter of, you know, is the master returning at 11 p.m. or 12 midnight? You know, it's, it's is the master even returning today? Is he even coming back this week? And so the point Jesus is making here is that we really don't know when Jesus is going to return. Later in the passage in verse 40, Jesus makes this really crystal clear when he says, the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And notice it doesn't say the Son of Man may come or the Son of Man might come. The Son of Man will come. So while Jesus' return is absolutely certain, the timing of his return is absolutely unknown. And there's no point in speculating as to the hour or the day when Jesus will return because, firstly, he, just, he tells us that we can't know. But more importantly than that, the, actual, the reason that Jesus tells us that he's going to return is not so that we can stand around twiddling our thumbs trying to calculate when he's going to come back, but so that we can actually live each day in the knowledge that he is coming back and with a perspective of preparing for that return. It is a mistake if we think that the news that Jesus is returning only becomes relevant once he's back. Because the news that Jesus is returning is not news that will affect us only at some time in the future, but it should affect us now and tonight. And so notice that Jesus says the servants should do three things. One, they should be dressed, keep their lamps burning, and be ready to immediately open the door. Now, I think it's easy to think that these instructions are just passive instructions. So they're instructions about getting into a certain state and staying that way. Because I got dressed once this morning and I have stayed that way since. I left the porch light on at home so that when I get home I'll be able to see. And all I did was flick the switch, but I'm 99% sure that when I get home it'll still be on. But it wasn't the same for these servants. See, for these servants, being dressed ready for service meant the action of physically preparing themselves by picking up these, the robes, these long robes that would have trailed along the ground and tuck them into their belt, basically so that uh, they could be ready to move and wouldn't be slowed down by their clothing when the moment for action came. And keeping your lamp burning wasn't simply a matter of flicking a switch, but actually it required constant care and attention towards the lamp making sure there was enough oil in it, making sure that the wick was constantly trimmed. And so the picture that we get is that a servant who is actively and constantly engaged in preparation for the master's return. And it's pretty clear when we read these verses that Jesus does not want to return to find us complacent, relaxed or lazy. The picture of the servant is someone poised at the door, ready to open it, immediately. See, this is somebody whose entire attention and entire devotion is oriented towards the master in eager anticipation of his return. 
And for those servants, this passage says, it will be good. And so the key question tonight is, when Jesus returns, how will you be found? Will you be found dressed ready for service with your lamp burning, ready to open the door immediately, or will you be found relaxed and complacent? And the the passage goes on. It says in verse 39, But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Now, I can tell you, I haven't fact-checked this, but I can almost certainly tell you that 100% of robberies occur because the homeowner didn't know that the thief was coming. Because if a homeowner knows that a thief is coming, they'd prepare, wouldn't they? You know, they would let the police know, they would let the neighbours know, they would leave their lights on, doors locked, alarms sounding, ready to go. And how bad is it for the homeowner who is not prepared for the thief to come? Well, it's also bad for us if we're not ready for when Jesus comes. But see, Jesus gives us the advantage of telling us that he will come. And so while we don't know exactly when that will be, I know that we're closer today than we were yesterday to when Jesus returns. And the parable goes on. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants and gives them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. See, in the same way that the master puts the manager in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at a proper time, so too have we been entrusted with gifts and responsibilities that we are to use and to fulfil faithfully to steward and serve those in our community. And so for us tonight, I think a more useful question to ask than who have I been put in charge of is who have I been put in care of or who has God asked me to take care of? Because I think for all of us, we know that there are people in our lives, in our schools, universities, workplaces, families, wherever it might be, there are people who God has asked us to be in care of. See, God entrusted the master with the care of of the other servants, sorry, God entrusted the manager with the care of the other servants. Who has God entrusted you with the care of? But as the passage goes on, it actually comes with a warning. In verse 45, it says, But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded and from the one who has been entrusted with much much more will be asked. How about that? I want to acknowledge up front that this is potentially quite a confronting piece of scripture, but I also think it's one that can be easily misunderstood. 
And so what I want to do tonight is to strip away any misunderstandings about this passage so that we can get to the heart of what Jesus is really saying here. So firstly, let me be perfectly clear about something. Let me be perfectly clear that Jesus is not saying his followers who do not do enough work will be rejected by him. Jesus is not saying that his followers who commit too many sins will be rejected by him. So the good news of the gospel is that no matter who you are and no matter what you have done, you have the option to say yes to Jesus and to be saved by grace alone and not by how diligently you wait or by how faithfully you serve. I need to be really clear that this passage tonight does not promote a works-based salvation. And another thing that we have to remember when we're trying to interpret this passage is that we're reading a parable. And a parable is a fictional story that is used to convey a key theme or a message. See, what we're reading tonight is not a contract that sets out the terms of a transaction between us and God. Because I think it's easy to look at this passage tonight and say, okay, well, if this condition is satisfied, I'll get this blessing, or otherwise I'll get this certain punishment. And if I engage in this conduct, I'll get a certain amount of blessing and fewer blows, etc., etc. But that's not what this passage is. The point of this passage and the reason that Jesus is saying it is not so that we can know what is the bare minimum that we can do to get a certain amount of blessing and avoid a certain amount of punishment. Because if that's our approach to Jesus, then that's actually not a relationship, but that's a transaction. And Jesus doesn't want to transact with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. See, God calls us his children and invites us into perfect relationship with him. And the whole reason that God sent Jesus to the cross is so that we could be in right relationship with him. And so is the way that you engage with God transactional or is it relational? And once we view this parable through the lens of our relationship with Jesus and aligning our heart with his, we understand that this parable is about the utter importance to Jesus of us faithfully and diligently serving him and others as we await his return. See, the servant who said, my master is taking a long time in coming, and who then beat the other servants, men and women, and eat, uh, began to eat and drink and get drunk, This servant was acting as though he was the master. See, the food was the master's to eat, and the drink was the master's to drink, and the authority over the other servants was the master's alone. So Jesus is talking about people here who, in whatever way, try to assume the role of God or to try and elevate themselves above God or act as though they are God. And maybe if you're honest tonight, you you sometimes find yourself living as though you are God or as though the only person you need to serve is yourself. But I think the key question that this parable prompts us to ask is, what would I do today? What would I do tonight if I knew for sure that Jesus was coming tomorrow? Seriously, if you knew that 8am tomorrow on the dot, Jesus is returning... Would you be here right now? Maybe. But if you, if you say to yourself, if I knew that Jesus was returning tomorrow, then I would live this way, but right now I'm living this way, 
then you need to ask yourself, why is there that misalignment? And is it because deep down you actually don't believe that Jesus could return at any time? And so as we land tonight, I want to invite you to consider whether you're prepared for Jesus to return. Because I don't know if you noticed, but I skipped a couple of verses earlier on that uh, paint the picture of what, what actually happens when the Master returns. And so we're going back to verse 37. It says, Truly I tell you, he, the Master, will dress himself to serve, and he will have them, the servants, recline at the table, and he will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose Master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. Isn't this a beautiful picture? And isn't this hard to comprehend? I find this really hard to understand that Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour, would come and he would dress himself to serve, have me recline at the table and serve me, us. In all our brokenness and our sin, and despite all the times that we've rejected him, that he would come and serve us. But how do I know? How do I know that Jesus is going to make good on this promise? How do I know that when Jesus returns, he's not going to look at me and say, I know I made that promise, but actually I didn't expect you to be that bad. I didn't expect you to reject me that much. Well, when I look at what Jesus did when he went to the cross, isn't that entirely consistent with the promise that he's making here? Because when Jesus returns, we could rightly observe that he should recline at the table and we should serve him. And that would make perfect sense. But our God's love for us is so radical and lavish that he flips the situation entirely. And that is exactly what he did on the cross. Because Jesus went to the cross for our sin. Jesus Jesus did not deserve to go to the cross. And whereas we deserved punishment for our sin, Jesus flipped that situation on its head and took the punishment for us. And so when Jesus said he's going to come and have us recline at the table while he serves us, I believe it 100% because of what happened on the cross. And so maybe you're sitting here tonight and you think, I want to be a part of that. Well, one of the things that's so revolutionary about our God is that to be more than a fan, to be a member of his kingdom and of his family, you actually don't need to have a certain history or a certain merit or certain skills, qualifications. The power of the cross means that all you have to do to be saved and to enter into relationship with him is to declare in your heart that he's Lord. And in a moment, I want to pray for those people who are still considering whether to place their trust in Jesus and join his kingdom and his his family. But maybe you find yourself in another group tonight. Maybe you call yourself a follower of Jesus, but when you actually take stock of your life, you realise that you're actually not serving God and others, but that the default position of your heart is to serve yourself. This passage tonight has told us that God has entrusted us with gifts, but has also given us responsibilities. And we are to use the gifts that God 
has given us to faithfully live out the responsibilities, not so that we can satisfy the terms of our get-into-heaven contract, but because a heart that is truly transformed by God and a heart moved by the immediacy with which Jesus is returning will naturally desire to take part in building his kingdom. And so if you're in that camp tonight, I also want to pray for you and pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would be moved to serve so that you can live out all that Jesus has desired for you and to see his kingdom grow. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for tonight and I thank you for your word and I thank you for the truth that it contains. And Father, I pray for those people who are here tonight who are on the fence about calling you Lord. God, I pray that you would move in them and you would stir in them through the power of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that they would know and be moved by the depth of your love for them. I pray that they would know there's nothing that they could do that would separate them from you. I pray that they would know they are covered by the power of the cross and that they are deeply known and loved by you, God. And I pray that they would be so aware of you as you draw near to them. And God, I also pray for those people who call you Lord, but who, who find that the position, the default position of their heart is to serve themselves. God, I pray that you would continue to graciously transform their heart. God, we know that being, being a follower of you is not a once and for all magical quick fix, but it involves constant transformation of our heart to be more like Jesus. And God, we give you our hearts and we say, have your way. Identify those parts of our hearts which are selfish and change them, God. Continue to transform us and continue to make us more like your son. God, I thank you for your word which both comforts and confronts us. And I pray that you would continue to move in our hearts tonight. And I pray that all glory would be yours alone tonight. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.